Hello, and welcome to another episode of the Dungeon Masters Dojo Podcast. This is a show for game masters and players alike. We hope to bring you tips and tricks to elevate your game and develop the art of dungeon mastery. I'm your host, Louis Aponte, and these are your Dungeon Masters, Scott Labby and Bill Robitaille. Let's head to the dojo and see what they have in store for us today. Thank you, everybody, for coming. Um, we have uh, uh, invited a group of individuals to join us to discuss what we think is an important topic in gaming, and that's inclusive, specifically LGBTQIA+, and gaming. But before we get started, let's meet our guests. Folks, go ahead and introduce yourselves. Hi, I'm Tisha. I'm from Roll Gay Roleplay Podcast. Hey, I'm Brianna Bloom-Scavera, and I use she, her pronouns and go by Brie. I'm a queer trans woman, and by day, I'm the director of information systems for the city of Middletown in Connecticut. I also work alongside the city's LGBTQIA plus commission and the local pride organization to host community building events. As a gamer, I got hooked in the late 80s on tabletop playing games. Um, I organized local gaming conventions in Connecticut like Falcon and Sticks and Stones and run convention events under the banner of Northwind Studios Hyperborea game. I had the wonderful opportunity to attend Rising Phoenix Gaming Convention just recently, and I was a guest speaker on its diversity panel. And additionally, I'll be a guest speaker at the National Conference of Community and Justice's Equity Leadership Alliance later this year. And I can be heard weekly on my radio show, Wonderland with DJ Cheshire Cat on WESU Middletown, 88.1 FM. Well, I'm glad I don't have to go after that. I was going to say, <laughs> uh, <clears throat> you know, women supporting women, but also... Tisha, Brie ate you up, girl. She did. <laughs> she did. <laughs> she did. Yeah. Um, My bad. Speaking of, I also have a, um, a very nice resume, and I've just, like, I'm, my brain is so scattered, so I can't, like, quite remember all the things that I do. Um, so, uh, uh, hi, I am Jonathan. Uh, my pronouns are all of them. Um, I am on Roll Gay Roleplay, and then we're going to, like, Y'all are going to add in all the other stuff, too. Yes? No? Okay. And um, that's all I have. Hi, my name is Eric. I use he, they pronouns. I host a podcast called The Queer Experience. Um, we do tabletop actual plays and some interview panels. And then I also am a member of the Boston Gamers uh, organization. I'm Elizabeth Murphy. I'm on the board of Rising Phoenix Game Con. And we were very, very lucky to have Bree speak on our diversity panel and have not Eric, but other members of Boston Gamers there at the con. Um, and my day job, I'm the manager of children's health programs at Barbara Bush Children's Hospital in Portland. Well, thank you, everybody, for coming and joining us. Um, we legitimately couldn't do this without without you folks so I'm, I'm glad you guys took the time out of your schedule to come and join us and talk about this and maybe provide a little education for folks out there um we've wanted to do this for a while we uh bill yeah. and lou and i talked about it a couple of years ago but really didn't you know we never made it down the runway because we really didn't know how to get it started and then we met up with Scott Legault last year at Rising Phoenix Game Con. He's like, hey, I got an idea. And I said, well, this is a great idea. And it was to do some diversity stuff. So he put us in contact with Elizabeth, and we figured we'd start here. So we each contacted folks that, that we know, and this is how it came together. So I'm glad it finally did. 
a couple of attempts. <laughs> yeah. Scheduling, of course, is always uh, questionable. But uh, thank you again for all of you showing up. So let's get right into it. Um, what has been a positive representation of queerness in a tabletop role-playing game that, that you've played? And can I use the term queerness? Is that appropriate? Yes. So one of my favorite campaigns was a Mutants and Masterminds game, which was based on the 2005 movie Sky High, and it features teenage superheroes. I was really impressed by how the group handled the player character Mercy. She was the daughter of the world's Magneto-esque supervillain. Uh, Mercy's queerness wasn't her defining trait, and it was only gradually revealed as the character aged. Her desire was to have an independent identity separate from her family's heritage, and to have a relationship free from the interference of the world. And those motivations were relatable regardless of one's sexual or gender identity. And that's what made the game such a positive representation of queerness in a tabletop role-playing game for me, because characters were queer, but that wasn't all of who they were, or even the most important part about who they were. And was this was this character portrayed by another player, or was, was she an NPC run by the DM? Or GM? It was by another player. That was a player character. Anybody else? Can you repeat like, the question? Yeah. Oh, sorry. Go ahead, Eric. Oh, sorry. Um, I was like, I feel like for me, like, I, because most of my, like, especially as like, I'm a forever DM, so I, I run most of my games. Like, I feel like all of them all have that level of queerness in them innately because I'm, I'm running the game. And so you kind of have to be on board with it to play the game with me, because if you're not, then you're not going to have a good time. Because there's going to be queer characters, there's going to be non-binary characters, trans characters, et cetera, that are going to be present in the game. I do think one time that I had, I think was a really fun moment, was uh, I was doing it for somebody's uh, Twitch stream. We played Monster Hearts 2, which is this very teen angsty by way of like monstrosities trying to navigate high school. So it's about kind of puberty and trauma and all these things and everyone's horny. And so we had like my whole, all my players were straight and one of the straight men on the panel that was playing with us or on the, that one of the players ended up like in like this kink and leather relationship with another male character. And like everyone just kind of like dove in. And I, I told them I didn't want to have a 100% heterosexual game given that I had all straight players and there wasn't a straight player to be found in the actual game itself. And everyone dove in, and I think got to have fun. And for me, that was more fun at times than some of the regular campaigns where like, I just expect because all my players are queer identifying to see a lot of straight folks come in and be able to like, just let loose and have a good time and not make it the butt of a joke, but make it relevant plot points. So how do you do that respectfully without parodying things as, as a, a, a straight player? So I have, I have a, something to say there, unless you want to go ahead, Eric. Oh no, go for it. Um, I think that uh, for me, like diversity and inclusion is not the same as belonging. So we've all had moments where we felt different. And I think my example of a game that kind of fits this category was run by a guy who was autistic. Obviously, in in the podcast that I'm in now, Role Gay Roleplay, um, we have a sense of belonging there with all of us because we are all queer. Um, but to feel included in a game that is run by a not queer person is, is something a little bit special, like feeling like you belong there and not just, 
you know, like you said, a, a trope or something. I don't know. I think it's, I think it just comes from people leaning into their compassion and recognizing that being queer or being LGBTQIA plus is not so different from how everybody else is different. So I think that if you can lean into your compassion while you're gaming with queer people, then you shouldn't have a problem with it. Uh, and going with positive representation in, in um, like a table I've sat at, I don't think I've ever had positive queer representation that was manufactured by like a company or manufactured by the game itself. It was created by the dungeon master, the game master in these situations. So like what I am in is primarily queer. So all of the representation is fantastic representation to me, especially because of the people that I play with. They kind of make the, they, they, they make the queerness pop out. And one of the things that I love about being in a space where people are primarily queer and playing these queer characters is that like, the overtness of it comes out and those are the inside jokes that we all get and we can be that way mm, with each other and that is just such a lovely thing that happens um in in that specific space and so yeah i think positive representation to me has been things that uh friends that i know and myself have created i think tisha answered this a little bit when i when i asked the question on the player side of things but what what suggestions would you have for GMs who are not LGBTQIA+, who wish um, to introduce queer themes and representation into their games w- without making it a parody? Don't talk about nothing you don't know about. Um, that's number one, first and foremost. Uh, uh, leather and kink community was brought up. And if you don't know anything about the leather, uh, leather community, then don't come in here. Um, um uh daddy leather vest you know like don't do all that because that is that is you're going to do exactly what you're trying not to do now i think that in that conversation it is a slippery slope and it is the word i'm looking for there's a lot of nuance in in it and there's going to be a lot of there's going to be a lot of understood by the queer people at your table that you're not going to understand and so in my opinion this is not global, but in my opinion, if you are trying to introduce a queer person as um, a person who is heterosexual, then do it and then listen to the people and how they react to you as these as this person does things. And if it is giving an air of cringe <laughs> every time, you know, uh, this character that you've introduced uh, acts or anything like that, and that is not your intention, then you need to read the room. I think at every, like, and that's what queer people have been doing since the dawn of time. We're basically trained to do this. The moment we figure out that we're not like everybody else is we can read a room real fast. So if you can catch on, I think with people you trust, that'll help you in creating a character that is going to actually provide story and provide the people in your campaign with a new character to interact with that is not going to be harmful. I get like, I'm 45 years old. I've been playing role-playing games for way too long. And I am so over one note NPCs, regardless of what that one note is. Like, yeah. When I was like a preteen, like some, the game master might introduce a piece, uh, an NPC whose entire shtick was like, they had a funny accent that really doesn't cut it for me anymore. So when it comes to introducing queer themes and representation into a game, I would want the game master to keep in mind that stories benefit from multidimensional characters. 
if your entire personality and motivation boils down to like a single quirk or mannerism, that's lazy normally. And it's offensive when it's a marginalized identity. That's the shtick. Um, and then I think, you know, Tisha kind of talked about that sense of belonging as universal. There's a lot of universal themes, especially when it comes to actually implementing plots and games. Queer themes overlap with tropes that almost always appear in RPGs. So lean into that overlap. Struggling with hierarchical power structures enforced by cultural institutions, exploring bodily autonomy, the experience of being othered or excluded from the public sphere, challenging expectations of relationship roles and societal norms. These speak to my experience as a queer person and the regular themes and games I've played. I don't know how many games I've sat in where player characters like chafe at feudal societies and the oppressive caste systems they implement. And I don't think it's a huge leap to take that type of narrative and flavor it with queerness. I mean, there's not a huge leap from Robin Hood and the band of merry folk, like fighting a person who is taxing the poor into oblivion and someone who is fighting for the underrepresented and marginalized. It's very similar and it doesn't take a lot to cross into queer themes. I think the X-Men comic books in the 60s did a very good job of that. Yeah, I mean, they clearly were drawing like parallels between racism and superheroes. And that type of backdoor metaphor is something that most people are comfortable with. Star Trek did it how often um, under Gene Roddenberry's vision. So players and GMs have this treasure trove of existing examples of how to introduce new themes that represent marginalized identities. And they can just rely on the wonderful stories we already have and adapt them to the here and now. On top of that, I think one thing is also on almost like the other side of it a little bit, like I feel like sometimes when people try and introduce queer characters or queer themes, like they overthink it all. Like, oh, I've made this character queer, so I have to do all of these extra things. Like, no, like build build your character out. Like if you've got this character who they're going to meet, who's a merchant or whatever, and he has a husband let him have a husband, but let him still do all the other things that you were going to have him do because then the husband isn't the central focus. It's just like, maybe like he's present for a moment or he's around. And I think one thing when I, when I run games is I try and break down like the instant drive towards having like patriarchal societies that are heteronormative, et cetera, et cetera. Like find ways to play with that. Like maybe your whatever monarch you're under isn't straight all the time. Like maybe there is two kings ruling together or what, like having some of those things where you're not, you're again, you're just not overthinking it. You're letting, and let your players explore what that means to them and let them explore things. And the other thing is super simple, but like include pronouns and include pronouns that aren't just he or she. So if you can have a character that uses they, them pronouns or he, they, or she, they pronouns, like, or any of the other pronouns that, that we have, as long as to the, to the length that you are comfortable and can be consistent. Cause there are pronoun sets that like, I know that I would mess up if I were DMing. So I, I'm not going to throw those in right now because I would then end up messing up and that would detract from the game. But if you can be comfortable introducing a non-binary character who uses they, them pronouns, there's no harm in having that character present and let your players know that that is a piece of your world. So I'm in a D and D game and all of us in the game, to be clear, um, are straight ish mostly. And, uh, two of us who are both straight women were playing characters who sort of, who 
sort of organically developed into having a relationship with each other. And it was fun because it was never more than flavor. You know, like it was a thing that was happening, but we never made a big deal out of it. It was motivational for some decisions that each one of our characters made, but we didn't turn it into a big thing either. And it was, you know, as you said, it was it was kind of fun to to go there and do that. But at the same time, I never felt like oh my gosh, I'm, I, I hope I'm not sliding into tropes or anything because it was part of the background and it was, it was fun. Like it was, it was cool to kind of step out of who I am. I've had experiences at gaming tables and it hasn't been for a long time, but where it's been almost a bizarre DM kind of feeding some weird fetish fantasy thing. And that's really the only time I've ever like experienced anything like that at a, at a gaming table. It's been well, it was the last time I played at that table because it was it was just bordering on like weirdness and you know it was more a DM thing than anything else. But treating it with respect, I imagine it's it's like a fine line where you can kind of overdo it, you know, and bring it to a place that's just not not respective, you know, of the community, you know, the or just cliche sometimes. Like mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, that's what I'm trying to say, you know, so it doesn't become like a their entire personality yeah Mm -hmm. yeah i i think uh critical roles vox machina has has a character i always get the brother and sister's name confused vexalia and dax right yeah who i think he's you know he's he's got some bisexual leanings and there's like a flirtatious thing with the magic shop owner but i think that's that's handled pretty tastefully where it doesn't become the entire you know character it's just mm-hmm. a facet of that character's personality. Um, and I think they handle it pretty well and, and respectfully. It seems like they have have a good good combination of, you know, balance for that. I think that there are a ton of resources out there. If you are a straight white male DM and you have any other type of diversity, or if you want to bring some diversity to your table as a DM. There are so many resources out there. You can even you can even like go on Facebook and find resources um, on on how to kind of approach this situation. Obviously, we want this to be a I guess a point of it, but at some point for me, and I think I was I was questioning whether to do this because it gets it gets a little frustrating because if you don't have sympathy. Or you can't be compassionate enough or sympathetic enough to the constant emotional barrage that people of minority groups get all the time Um, and the hatred that queer and POC people get, then maybe you shouldn't be DMing and you should be going to therapy, right? Because we we see this stuff in the news. Right. Constantly. We see the hatred of, you know, people who are just slightly different. And so it's so it's a little hard to have a conversation with non-queer people who are saying, I want to introduce a queer person to, into my um, game, but I'm not sure how to do it. Do you not have any queer friends? You know, do you not have friends who are maybe a little bit different from you? I don't know. It's it's a touchy subject, I think, for maybe all of us. I know for me in particular, because we are people. We are multifaceted. I have a stack of comic books. You mentioned X-Men. I love Marvel, right? I play instruments. I 
I'm a linguist. I was a linguistics major. I have my mass, a master's degree in linguistics. Like there are so many different things that are like cool or different about me other than my sexuality. So when you're introducing a character and you want them to be queer, let them have other things that are interesting about them too. You know, I wouldn't make a human fighter the same as this human fighter, right? I wouldn't have two human fighters in my game that are the same basic straight white guy because we're all multifaceted. So this is just one piece of our identity. And yeah, we lean into the community a lot because this is a place where we're understood and we don't have to constantly explain ourselves. Yeah, okay, yeah. basically, Sorry. I was just going to say, you hit the nail on the head with one of the things that I was also thinking. It's just like, we are giving you, um, to our best um, to our best ability, we are giving you like these very well thought out answers. But at the end of the day, honey, we are all exhausted. <laughs> the truth is, is that uh, when being uh, met with a question like, how do you, as a, as a, as a non-queer person, introduce a queer character? Like, um, yeah, yeah, we're giving you these sentences. We're giving you good stuff. But in our heads, I think all of us are, all of us are just like, don't do it. <laughs> like, <laughs> don't do it like for real. And I, I'm sorry, I'm not, I'm, uh, I'm not trying to speak for anybody, but yeah, it is exhausting because, because what's going to happen um, because we've all been burned before is there, you're going to mess up. And then there has to be this time where um, you messed up in introducing this queer person, but now the focus in the, the it, you are being centered because you of your mistake. And then as human beings, we have to like kind of take the injury that we received off of us and then turn that into care. And then once again, care about somebody else um, whenever the injury was done to us. So it's, it's like, yes, learn. Yes, grow. Do that on your own time. <laughs> um, and then don't use, um, don't use the very open and honest and understanding and loving queer people at your table as an experiment for you to bring out your creativity in a space that you don't, you're not a part of. And you may think that you have a grasp of it, but that once again, there's so much nuance in it. Like it's a tangled web and you will get caught. So just don't. So that's the real answer from, from me. Yeah. I think one thing built like building out of that is like, if you are a DM who's trying to introduce those kinds of characters or trying to introduce different elements to your story that you're uncomfortable with, or you haven't experienced yourself, I'm a big believer in collaborative storytelling to begin with. So having your characters be like, okay, like we've got a merchant here. Someone tell me about this merchant. Like, who are they? Give me some insight. Give me a couple of details. I've very much stepped away from D and D over the past couple of years. Um, especially with like the last roughly year and like this week they're having a bad week. So I'm like rolling them back a little bit using other play, like other systems. And a lot of games that are run on the Powered by the Apocalypse system. So like Masks, Monster of the Week, the Monster Hearts 2, um, there's a bunch of others. It's all about the collaborative nature of people coming to the table to talk about like, who is this person to you? How do they play into the story? When I run those games, I write very little other than maybe a villain and a couple beats along the path. And I let them fill in the world. And if you have queer people at the table, they're going to fill the world in and make those moments and create that story and do that in a way that I think, even if you're not a queer person DMing, you can still have those authentic moments at the table. Um, but I do echo Tisha and Jonathan, like, yes, it can be exhausting. Like, that can be. It is exhausting at times when it you're is. like, how many times do I have to have this conversation over and over and over again? And I, I do appreciate that you brought us in to have the conversation yes, because even yes. in 2023, it's still a relevant conversation to have 
it is just exhausting because I've been having it in various iterations, gaming or otherwise, since roughly 2000. So, you know, 23 years, at least for me, that's exhausting. (laughs) But I think knowing that people bring that to the table, right? Like your players are exhausted. And so approaching it in ways that you can engage and let them collaboratively bring the story together gives that empowerment to your players to feel like they've made a space for themselves that you're helping facilitate. Talking about exhausted, like... I just want to give you a very concrete single example of what is exhausting for me. When we talk about the current state of the world and what's happening with like anti-queer and anti-trans legislation in the United States, I'm in Connecticut. It's a nice, safe place for the most part for trans people. Because of my day job and because of who I am, I am seeing families leaving their homes that they've been in in other states some with no plan other than get the hell out because their kids are not going to receive the medical care. There are people who are coming to Connecticut just to be homeless because they'd rather be so homeless and safe here to get medical care than stay in other states. And the toll it takes working with these people, hearing their stories, it's great if someone wants to play a game and incorporate some of these themes to maybe spread some empathy, but it does get a little bit weird because like there's people who are homeless now because of they had to escape a law. Like that's part of me, that's fucked up. And when we, when I say exhausted, I am emotionally and mentally and spiritually spent sometimes because there is hatred in the world. And when you are dealing with the real world consequences of being targeted, like you still have to go to work, you still have to find joy, and you still have to move forward. Otherwise, you just ground down, get ground down. And that is fucking exhausting. And for a lot of people, tabletop is the one space you can get away. Mm-hmm. And it's the one space that you can have that is untarnished by that. Which is why when I run my games, I specifically, I don't include racism, I don't include homophobia, transphobia, etc. Because the real world's shitty enough and I don't need that in my game. There's other ways I can create conflict and story and all of that. But I think that, like, to build off Brie, like, it's, it's a, for some of people, that's the one space they get. Mm-hmm. Which is why there's such a level of wanting the DM to do it well, because if that one space is tarnished, for some people, a table being a bad day you can move on and find another table and be fine for someone like I'll speak for myself. If I show up to a table and it goes badly, like that can be devastating in, in ways that I think straight folks don't always understand. And I think one thing to take out of this, if you are a DM and you have queer players or a person of color or somebody just different than you at your table or just anybody at all, And they have a conversation with you. Hey, this makes me feel a little uncomfortable, right? Like you're playing, you're playing the bartender as like silly himbo and you just cross the line a little bit. uh, And somebody comes to you and says, that makes me feel a little bit uncomfortable. Meet them with open ears and just say, okay, you know, this is a a space where we're here to escape and enjoy ourselves you know, or, or find them a different table or, you know, you find yourself different PCs if it's not a, a match, I guess. I, I don't know. I guess that's awesome. a, a tough one. Mm-hmm. Be open, be open to listening to their concerns because part of my problem is a lot of times when I, let's say that 
So I am a queer woman. Sorry, I didn't say my pronouns earlier. They are she, her. I am a queer woman who has brought up issues with a straight DM before where they were sexualizing my character. I move around a lot. And so I find a lot of like random different tables to try. So it's often met when I bring that up, it's often met with weaponized ignorance. So I get it that you don't know something, but I'm telling you this is bothering me. And for you just to say, well, I didn't know, you'll just have to deal with it. I've already written the story is not good enough. That's not good enough as a DM. Mm-hmm. It's not good enough as a person. No, not just Absolutely. a DM. Um, but, as Bree said, that is lazy. <laughs> um, <laughs> that is very lazy. And I think one one thing to kind of build up for, I think to avoid some of those things, I just put it in the in the chat for folks, but just implementing simple safety tools for your games. For the pod that I run, any player that I have come on, I have my own form that I have people fill out, which is like, what are the things that I'm not to touch if you're playing with me? What are the things that you want me to fade to black if we get to? Like, they're, you're good, but you want to like, which is usually like, if it gets a little steamy, I want you to fade to black. Cool. Got it. And then like, what are the things you need me to know in order to make sure you're having a good, good, like gaming experience? And I get a lot of variety in the answers that things that I wouldn't have thought about from different people or been like, oh, like animal cruelty is a big one that comes up a lot. I'm trying to think like usually sexual assault and some of those things are ones that come up as like, don't cross those lines, which I think for a lot of people, like those are lines like I probably wouldn't have gone there anyways, but it's good to have that written down and engage that conversation with people because they'll let you know what those boundaries are if you ask at the off- onset. And then for Tisha's experience, that would have fended some of that off potentially if a DM would have said what, I mean, maybe not, maybe that person is a shit person and they would have done it anyways, but in theory, it could have fed it off creating space that was uncomfortable for somebody if they would have taken some time to get to know their players and said, mm-hmm. what, what are your lines? That's actually yeah. a standard for uh, our session zero is always, always, you know, wh- where are the boundaries? Wh- what are you uncomfortable with? What are you comfortable with? Uh, and we've, we've touted this a number of times, especially during our, you know, our, our big push for session zeros that where that stuff is not brought and they say, if you want to pull it aside and talk to us individually, you know, just one-on-one, that's great. If you want to bring it up in front of the table to make sure that everyone knows exactly where you stand, that's great too, but we'll make sure we stay within those boundaries. And, uh, you know, to your point that it needs to be said and needs to be asked to, to make sure you don't cross those lines. And I, I think with that, like one thing to make sure is for me, I do the form ahead because I don't want people to have to feel like they need to disclose in front of a group, if especially if they don't know the group, to give mm-hmm. everyone that created space before we get to the table. So then when we get there, I can say, well, one, I already know where we're not going. So I don't have to like I can write that in my story. But I think making for me the comfort in the space, if it's people I don't know, I don't want to have to disclose at the onset. These are the things that will trigger me and make me upset if I'm playing. Um, because even sometimes saying them out to a table of people then makes questions like, well, why aren't you comfortable with this? doesn't matter, but like yep. it can create that dynamic so that yep. for me, that's why I've pushed that to be a thing that I do virtually where people can have time to reflect and write and do what they need to do. So, I mean, both different methods are valid for different people, but I feel like that's something I've, I've discovered in my time. Well, I think with us, we're a little spoiled because our group has been together for the majority of us for a long time. So we yeah. know, we know where those boundaries always are, but and when someone comes in, it's, it's one of those, all right, let me pull you off to the side and let me have a conversation with you. But there's, has been other times where something's come up and then, you know, and someone just, oh, Hey, could you do me a favor? Um, could we, could we nix it on that? And we, we stumble into um, a phobia or uh, a, a 
just a situation that caught them different that they never expected. And it mm-hmm. will sometimes happen. And we just we just make sure we let everyone know that you can pull us aside. You can say, don't do that, please. And we'll make do, do everything we can to make sure we don't. That's really nice. Because yeah. I'm a human being. I have said things that I didn't realize were inappropriate or offensive. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I, I've had the experience of someone saying, hey, Brie, that's offensive to me. And this is, you know, they don't even have to go. This is why. And I've learned to say, I'm sorry. I appreciate you pointing it out. It won't happen again. I'll try better. Like just acknowledge, move on. Mm-hmm. And I don't make a big deal of it when it happens at the table. Don't get overly concerned about apologizing profusely because that makes it even more awkward for a lot of cases. If a person wants to talk to you more about it offline or in another situation, that's fine. Just it's a mistake. You're being educated. Thank you for the opportunity to do better. Do better. And I think that if you're if you're a DM, I guess you have to figure out where the line is between correcting a person at your table for acting inappropriately. Right. If you do it at the table, if you do it afterwards, you know, a lot of the time I have had experience. Like I said, I've joined many like brand new tables because I moved to a new city and there is a new person DMing and new players that I've never met. And having that experience where a DM told another player character that it was inappropriate to, you know, make weird sexual advances towards a barkeep or something. It was good that they stopped them at that moment, right? Right, because it's definitely a, like that's the DM establishing what their table is, right. you know, and what their table will not be, and that creates such a dynamic between like those people that were also kind of like feeling the cringe from that moment, and then like the DM stepping in so that the exhausted people don't have to do the work is <laughs> yes, <laughs> absolutely. Mm-hmm. You have to establish the culture of the table, as, absolutely, as, as the GM. And I also want to just acknowledge, like, listen, we talk a lot about the game master responsibilities as if that person, like, is wielding the authority over the, the table. And I, I started playing old school D&D, first edition OD&D, Red Box, all that stuff. That adversarial relationship between the person behind the screen and the players, the conflict, the control, totes get that. But the plain fact of the matter is, like, especially if you're going to a con game, That person who's sitting behind the screen, A, may not even have a screen these days because they don't believe in that division. B, this might be their first game. And like, they might not be that confident and they're really just trying to feel out. Or you're going to a group where like the actual folks who have the most sway over the table isn't the person running. That's the person that everyone has bullied in to organizing the good time. (laughs) Like we're all here together to spend time together. And it's so important that like players and the person who's telling the story or taking the lead are collaboratively making sure everyone at the table feels safe. And if there's a problem, folks shouldn't just sit there and wait, well, I hope the storyteller really addresses this because I'm getting uncomfortable because they may not have the tools to do it. And I don't think it's fair to take a novice person who's just spreading their creative wings and saying, you didn't have the stuff to challenge someone you might be intimidated by, and therefore mm-hmm. the game is failing. It's a community game. We're a community. The community has to take care of itself. I like that. Yeah, Thank you for well that said. insight, Brie. Absolutely. So I'm sure you've heard this sort of thing or read this sort of thing before 
a queer person has been introduced as a character in your favorite D&D stream or podcast, you check the comments and you see dude bro ask, why are we making this political? Or why does there have to be an agenda in every part of media nowadays? Or LGBTQIA plus people wouldn't have such a hard time if they stopped talking about it. Or it's only a big deal because they make it a big deal. How do you respond to that? You mind if I just start ranting? Go ahead. (laughs) Good. Because I'm not sure I would respond to those fucking questions. Mm -hmm. My experience is that people who ask those questions in comment sections aren't actually in search of education or understanding. All right, let's be clear. We're on a podcast, right? So we have the internet at our fingertips. So if dude bro want to learn about the experience of LGBTQIA plus people, the importance of representation, how our actual culture is already built on identity politics, what privileges that dude bro could fucking look it up. If they didn't know where to look, they could have messaged the creators and not post that crap in the comment section. But no, they posted it so they could be applauded by others for standing up for their cultural background. And I get that, folks. Uh, just, to, just to be clear, folks generally aren't aware of issues that affect the well-being of people outside their identity group. I don't know, you know, when I brought it up earlier, how many people were aware of the migration of trans people from states who are accepting homelessness because of safety issues. Because if you're not in the community, you wouldn't be aware of it because it's hard to be aware of every fucking injustice in society and the world at large. If I sound cynical and defensive, it's because I I am. I drove from Connecticut to Wisconsin for GaryCon in March. I have been going to GaryCon since GaryCon 2. It's 15 this year. But this year... I had to map out the road and check active and pending legislation on a state-by-state basis to make sure that I wouldn't be arrested for using a public restroom. There is proposed legislation at the federal level that would prohibit me from receiving medical care because I'm trans. As of this afternoon, April 24th, 2023, there are a total of 469 anti-LGBTQ bills currently under consideration that would prevent our existence from being discussed in school systems, deny us medical treatment, deny us from enjoying the same rights as cisgender heterosexuals, criminalize going out in public, and now in Florida to equate our existence to pedophilia and execute pedophiles. So when a person somehow lives in this country or culture, can ignore the persecution queer people face, and then criticizes a piece of popular culture for attempting to include representation, I've fucking lost the ability to perceive that as simple naivety. Can't even say the word right. That's how pissed off I am. (laughs) Naivete. Like that person is not making that comment out of naivete. They are doing it because they came with an agenda to accuse queer people of having an agenda. And again, I'm fucking pissed off because this is the world we live in and it's fucking exhausting. Clearly, the first and foremost is that question is not being asked in good faith. Um, As you said, Brie, you're not asking for educational purposes. Um, You are not going to listen to anyone to actually listen and hear stories of queer people or marginalized folks. You are listening to respond and to rally your troops together and be ignorant as hell over a damn game. Like, number one, it's a game. Number two, it means a lot to a lot of other people. And you can't realize that because it's not a circle that you're a part of. But that's not the issue. It's your lack of empathy. Um, that's just disgusting. Uh, that really is just like, it's pervasive. The other thing is there are so many times where we deal uh, with, where I, as a queer person, see cisgender, heterosexual things happening in gaming. And 
that is not seen as an agenda. It is not seen as political. It is just people existing in a game or the, the creative processes of a person who made this thing happen. And I don't understand why that same amount of not politicizing something can't be extended. I actually, I mean, I really do understand and I'm trying to be very sweet, but like, it's literally just because you don't want to, you know, you, you, you don't want to. So my other comment about that is, is like, when that comment is made, like, I immediately say, well, honey, you're asking the wrong people because we were fine with just having the person there, but there, there are cisgender heterosexual people who have made this political, who have made this an agenda and that you should be talking to them about this. You know what I'm saying? Like all we want to do was play the game with the high femme queen and have a good old time, but we can't do that because y'all have made a narrative out of this. And that's that like, that's something that y'all need to sort out. That's not us. I think I've got like a, like a, a twofold quick answer. One, the first one is, if I don't have the time and energy or capacity, we just block and move on because fuck off. Um, and then the second part of that is if I do have the time, energy, patience, et cetera, and I'm feeling gracious enough to give you a learning opportunity moment, usually my response is kind of like, tell me why that's political. I, I want like, if they're like, you're making this woke and political. Okay, well, like tell me what, what does that mean? Like, what does that mean that I've made it political? Like I'm a queer person playing a, a game where I have a queer character. Can you explain to me how that's, how that's political? And I, I will keep asking the like, tell me, tell me more why, et cetera. It's probably more in person than on Twitter because Twitter is a cesspool and mm. I, that I'll just block because, you know, John one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine account made two days ago. You're, I don't care about you, but in person, it's a, tell me why, tell me more. What do you mean? Woke? What do you mean? Political. And so we've gotten to like a very core of it where it's just that there's something that's different that you don't understand and therefore it's scary and you don't know what to do. Now that takes a lot of energy and time and patience with somebody. And I probably won't do that with a random person. It has to be somebody I'm like tangentially connected to in some way, have a pre-existing relationship with. But usually when you push and make those questions, you dig in and like, of course, like nobody can define woke for you. Like if you ask that, they literally can't define it. You know, same thing with like, you've made it political. Well, how? well, you've got this character. Well, how are they political? Mm -hmm. You know, like they're doing everything everyone else is doing. Um, but going back to the fact that we're all exhausted and tired, most of us don't have time and patience for that kind of conversation. So doing it is almost like it's, it's, an, it's a moment of grace that I'm giving you that you may or may not deserve. And whenever you do the line of questioning, um, you said they may be, um, they may not be aware or like understand or something like that, or they're scared of it. And also- Nine times out of 10, when you ask enough questions, it always boils down to homophobia, transphobia. Um, they are just eventually just going to tell on themselves. You know, well, I just don't like gay people. Like, that's literally what happens. And you, you, you corner them and you put them in the hot seat and they, yeah, they just, they vomit their, uh, they vomit their hatred. And so I think that... Once again, you know, a bad faith question and the pageantry of it all is, well, I'm just curious and I just want to know and I just don't understand. It's like, no, you, you know exactly what the hell you're doing and you're playing a great game, but go play that with somebody else because, honey, I 
like whenever things like that happen and I see it like and and that's the reason why this question was brought up because I was literally on um TikTok watching a video and it was talking about a um Kimberly from Street Fighter and they were like well why um is this character such a stereotype because of her dress it was very urban and yada 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 but it was like a non-black person having this conversation which number one that's not your place and then number two like the people that were in the comment section were just enjoying the fact that it was like a well-dressed character that had a a a storyline and we couldn't enjoy that moment because once again, you had like someone had to come invade that space where they didn't belong. So it's like with, with questions that were not you like you knew what you were doing and and I don't like you for that. So <laughs> usually it always just boils down to um, you're a hateful person. Let's take a moment to talk about our sponsor. You're a new DM who wants to jump behind the screen. Maybe you've been volunteered by your gaming group, but aren't quite ready. What if I were to tell you that I can put a team of professional writers alongside you at your desk while you're prepping your game? With Describe, we can do just that. These narratives vividly describe monsters, places, spells, people, you name it. It's there, and there are more than 6,000 of these easy-to-search-up, copy, and pasteable, beautifully written narratives right at your fingertips. Describe has graciously provided us with a discount for our listeners. Head on over to describe.com backslash DMD. Use the code DMD at checkout to try Describe for two weeks for free. Links will be in the show notes. And now back to the show. I, I had a I had a thought I wanted, as we've been kind of like talking about stuff, I had something I wanted, as we were on our break, my brain was marinating a little bit. I think something I would say when you asked, I think the question about like as a, as a straight, like as a straight person trying to DM, including queer characters, how can people go about doing that? Honestly, I think something people need to do is go find a like go find a queer table run by a queer person and sit and play. Let it like sit and take in what people are talking about. Open be open to those experiences, open to those games and see how other people are doing it because then you'll start picking up on things. You'll start feeling more comfortable and in that space, especially if it's like a D&D game, you're not necessarily in control of the narrative and like while some games are more collaborative, I think sitting at those tables and letting letting yourself just be in that space can do a lot for somebody trying to figure out how can I do this? Well, how can I do this better? The best way is literally just sitting around with people that, you know, and having somebody run a game and, you know, letting, letting that experience impact you and, and being able to take some of that in not to put like onus on a DM to like teach you how to do something, but like finding that space to say, I just want to play and I want to get more of a vibe of different styles and different people and how people tell stories. Um, and that can open yeah. up, I think, some interesting things that you wouldn't get if you're trying to do that on your own as a DM. That's a good idea. Before, you know, YouTube and uh, all this this other stuff, that's that's how we learn to run games, by having games run for us or watching someone run a game. That's how I learned. And a, a good rule of thumb is um, don't lean into tropes of a community that you're not a part of or more oppressed community that you're not a part of. Like, I'm not a part of a cishet white boys club but i think it's okay for me to lean into a trope of that because we're we're punching up instead of punching down you know like if i called myself chad and played a frat bro i think that would be okay you've literally called yourself chad i literally have called myself just sorry (laughs) Um, i'm I'm giving excuses for myself but yeah i mean just (laughs) don't punch don't punch down 
Sorry, I'm. So, I know uh, I live. I, I don't mean to offend you, Scott. Or uh, no. No. <laughs> but also be offended, offended, and it's fine. <laughs> okay. Like, um, do I look no, like um, a Chad um, or a frat, bro? I've never been part of a frat. <laughs> I think. Yeah, I mean, I'm not gonna comment. Like, um, but that's another thing is that just talking about like proximities and things like that. Um, every queer person has encountered a um, a white a straight white male. Okay. Um, and uh, the straight white male is the uh, dominating personality in most non-queer centered circles. So my, whenever I went to school, it was primary, like, like that's what I went to school with. So I have enough experience with that. I don't even call it punching up because that's not what I'm doing. It's like, no, 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 no. Like literally this is, this is what y'all be doing sometimes. So I'm about to put this all up in my DM campaign. And if you cannot handle it, as a cisgender heterosexual man, then cope elsewhere, because uh, that's happening. But it is indeed, it is indeed an insult if you do the same to me, because that is not reverse jack shit. That is just you being terrible, <laughs> like, period. I, th- I think that that goes back to, that's because that's that's often an argument that we see in those comment sections, right? Well, you know, if he can use the F word, why can't I use the F word or the N word or, you know, all of these different things? Why can that's reverse racism, blah, blah, blah. There's a difference. The world is heteronormative. The world is your your superhero comics. You see yourself. Right. And so when you don't see yourself, you feel like that's political somehow. But what that does to me, like my favorite comic books are comic books that that have women in them that are not written by Alan Moore and and they're strong women because I want to see myself in that like you get to see yourself in Superman in Iron Man in Wolverine so you know take a second and imagine that all of your hobbies all of your media you never saw yourself and what that would mean to you if you finally did that's a like good way I- of putting it it really is. I tried to transition when I was in my 20s and it was so fucking difficult because there just weren't that many trans women in media in like that you could look up to as successes. And most of my peer group, I mean, there are certain stereotypes that are stereotypes because unfortunately they're true. And I'm not talking about behavior, but a lot of people I knew were sex workers. A lot of us ended up, I ended up homeless and without a job when I tried to transition at work. And not having representation in the stories that I read or in the movies I watch. Like I was a comic book collector until I had to sell all my comics because I was homeless and I needed the money. Like these are things that's like, who am I looking up to? Like what hope do I have if no one's showing that there's a better life for me other than just subsistence, like subsistence living? It was one of the most demoralizing things to just want to look up to someone and not have anyone to look up with that I recognized as me. So it's like looking in a mirror, but never seeing a reflection. You're just waiting for one, you know? Well, I guess we could also, that's, that's also an apt description of gender dysphoria. If you have it, so good job, Scott. (laughs) It's, it's like, imagine if, uh, and I'm not saying that all queer people have parents like this or, or guardians like this, but imagine if, you know, I mean, society just tells you you'll never be anything but a sex worker. You'll never be anything but, you know, some man's eye candy. You know, you'll never be anything other than a side character that was sexually assaulted. And that's why you're mad. 
that's what that's what a lot of us well you know i'm speaking from my experience as as a woman as well in brie we don't get a lot of representation representation until after the 90s so what are we looking up to you know what do we think we can do with our lives you know i didn't have i didn't have parents or guardians growing growing up that told me i could be anything that i wanted to be i didn't have that kind of life. And I was also told that who I felt that I was inside was an abomination, you know? So being able to see a queer character on TV that is powerful or in a comic book that is powerful and is who I feel like I am inside, that would have probably been somebody I looked up to. Sorry. I I think that like, I think that builds out into like into the tabletop gaming community as well. Like how many books, like how many rule books do we probably all own that only reference people as being male? Or have relegated gender to certain classes or certain things, right? Like you read the, the barbarian description, it's always going to be read in a certain way. Um, I think stuff has gotten better with it, but like that's all, it's all entrenched. Like not seeing yourself in comics is connected to not see, like not being able to have a good experience in a game because they're not using language in a game as you're reading it for the first time that's going to lend itself to that. If they talk about romantic partners or different things, they're always going to default to like heteronormative Gen, like gender pairings. And so like you, it, it all, it all comes together and it makes for an experience by the time you finally get to the table that like, am I actually going to get a fun experience at the table today? Cause everything's kind of stacked in a way that like, if you're not being intentional about it, it's not like if you come upon a band, like a band of henchmen, how many times is that entire group going to be described as male? How many times like you go into spaces and like, it's always the King running this and the person doing that, like, and it's all set in a very st- specific way and if you don't play with that and push it a little bit you're not going to be able to let people see themselves in the campaign i think that's that's a piece that's important for people as they're sitting at the table are there other people in the game that also represent them not just their own character that they've made which depending on how you play sometimes your character you made is very not you like tisha playing chad like that's not her (laughs) maybe it is maybe it is we don't know we are all chad we are all Chad. I actually have a game I'm, I'm going to run at some point called uh, Bro Hunters. And it's it's a ghost hunting bro game written by a, a, the author. The game developer is non-binary. It's so, like everything is entrenched with like bro moves and bro tokens. They're called brokens. Like it's. <laughs> and I'm so pumped to play it because it's we, we talk about like punching up or making people cope like this is quintessential that. And so, like, I think that's the fun thing where you get to, like, play with some of that and experience it in, in some different ways. I so want to play that game. Can I just say that? <laughs> <laughs> Maybe we should invite Elizabeth to our next Roll Straight role play. Oh, yeah. my God. Absolutely. And, I feel uh, cooler already. <laughs> I, it, you know, that does remind me of something that came up in our panel on Saturday, which was talking about language and talking about the way people are described and talking about how we have an opportunity to reimagine all of that and use different words when we describe a scenario and when we describe uh, characters. And um, it, it doesn't have to be a king. It doesn't have to be a queen. It could be something, you know, completely different that doesn't specify and and how important it is just to try to push back against some of those habits that I think it's very easy for heterosexual people to just fall into without even really thinking and to sort of push ourselves to 
to do better and to be more thoughtful and provide more space for things to be different and for that to just be how we do things. Absolutely. Because like a lot of the stuff is not like so far out of the box or not some, or it's like, it's not something that didn't happen like in history. Like there have been Queens that ruled most of the time better than their, their, their male counterpart, you know? I, like I was literally just looking at it now. I was, I was reading something, and it was like the clearly the the bullheaded warrior is a man, and then like this clearly like intelligent goddess of a sorceress is like clearly weaving the spells, casting the things, but she's like the damsel in distress. It's like how, like this doesn't make sense. Like it's like okay, like in 2023 you can't like okay it's boring it's dull it's 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 not giving anything it's it's giving you didn't try you know i appreciate elizabeth brought up some of the things that were talked about at the panel and i'm glad we haven't left some conversation about representation because one of the most fucking irksome things when we do fantasy especially is the emphasis like well we're just drawing from traditions like we're running a role-playing game that's based on like feudalism. Cool. You know, there was more than just like England, right? Mm -hmm. There was cultures all over the world. Like when we talk about kings and queens, well, there was non-monarchy societies that like date way back. And it's one of the things when we talk about going all the way back to bad faith dude bro, are we all aware like, you know, the Talmud, which is a collection of scholastic rabbinical Jewish texts discussed multiple gender identities over 2000 years ago. Like mm -hmm. trans identities aren't new to the modern American age. It's not a symptom of a cultural shift. It is actually just yet again, a facet of humanity reasserting its existence because we keep getting left out deliberately because the dude bro isn't new. Dude bro has been around for all time. Whoever's in power generally leaves out the stories and history of minorities and the oppressed because it's easy to erase us because there's so few of us and we have no power. And we replicate the stories of the people who decimated and destroyed minorities. So we forget that minorities and other gender identities and other sexual orientations ever were prevalent in other societies because we're not allowed to teach those stories. Like legally, there are areas of our country where you cannot teach the existence of these stories in the historical fact that queer people have been around as long as there's people. There is actually, prop there's one point in human development that there actually weren't queer people because there was really no distinction between who was fucking who, who was attracted to who. That's just human development and civilization. So when we talk about representation, we're really just trying to get back and rediscover the stories that we have been forbidden from telling and the histories that were deliberately erased. We're drawing from historical references. And this just, I, so y'all know Final Fantasy 16 is coming out. <laughs> and uh, y'all, I'm sure y'all heard what Miss Thing said about not having Black people in Final Fantasy 16 because it wasn't historically accurate and they wanted to root the game in reality um, because it was like, I, I guess it's 
it's going to be a medieval Final Fantasy and Black people were not created until after the medieval era. So it's like, like, you, like, Mama, do you hear what you're saying right now? And then do you understand that, like, so many people wanted to buy this game and now they have, like, reservations because of you deliberately removing a group of people because it doesn't fit what you want. And that, and and like you were saying, that happens so much throughout history. And it's like, you y'all really just thought that like, we, we're brand new, like we're new. We came from Africa through the Middle Passage and that, but that's that's where it all started. You know, like, okay, girl. So yes, don't do that. I, I don't know how, how close to the point this comment reaches, but I think that, you know, if we're going back to gaming, you know, exclusion in gaming and nerd groups isn't new. I think that, you know, a question was posed to our RGRP podcast because we, our name is Roll Gay Roleplay. Like we have the word gay in our name. And, and there, there's a reason for that because, you know, as, as open and accepting as tabletop gaming is supposed to be, right, it's opening <laughs> and accepting to a certain group. And all of us have been, I wouldn't say surprised, but taken aback by how we've been treated by people who look like you, Scott, or like you, Will, or Elizabeth. You know, we're, we're not, or like me, people who look like me. Like I said, we're not surprised by it, but we're always taken aback. And so creating an inclusive space where you know you will not be surprised by all of a sudden I'm going to say something that hurts your heart or hurts your feelings. And, and I mean, I still might, but, you know, not about this. This is a space where you can take a break, which is exactly why we named it what we named it. You can take a break from being exhausted from the disappointment of homophobia. It was definitely intentional. Like we were making it queer intentionally and deliberately so that there would be no gray area as to what our podcast is about. We gay as hell. Um, we're, queer, we're queer as fuck. And you can enjoy that experience with us and be in a space. Us right. calling ourselves Real Gay Roleplay was intentional and deliberate. Because, you know, with, with Comicsgate with Gamergate, with the constant use of the word faggot, and you can bleep that if you want to, you know, cocksucker queer, you know, like all of those things being used as slurs against us all over gaming. This is a spot where you're not going to hear that as a slur against yourself. And I think the kind of build like real quick, and I know Scott, you had a question, so I'll let you do it. But I just want to say like two small things. One is when you talk about game systems and like how a lot of them are rooted in like feudalism and like all these things, like there's so many systems. There's one that I, I wanted to play at PAX East, but I didn't have the time for it was just called um, Coyote and Crow, which is a tabletop game that is designed around indigenous first first nations people without colonization happening. Mm-hmm. Like, what does that world look like and how yeah. does that transpire and do things? So if you're, if you're talking about trying to find systems, I think that lend themselves away from a certain perspective the indie world is is bursting with them. And Coyote and Crow is, I think, a little bit bigger than an indie brand. I could be wrong on that one. I'm not sure who published that. But like I, I go on HIO all the time. I have, I couldn't even tell you, I have like 800 games that are sitting in a folder somewhere that I bought in bundles and whatnot that 
represent so many different things that I think you can kind of lend to some of those narratives or stories or histories that you're looking for. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I echo what Tisha and, and Jonathan said about naming a podcast. Like mine is the queer experience, the queer XP. I couldn't have made it more abundantly clear what you're going to get if you listen to an episode. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm fortunate, I think it's because I'm, I'm still small. I'm still small game podcasting right now. So I haven't run into as many people being like, what the fuck is this? But like, I, it, it's the brand. Like it's exactly who we are. It's what we do. Um, and if that's not your, if that's not your thing, then go find another podcast. Cause there's hundreds of other podcasts that probably will speak to your experience more than mine does then. Is it okay if I follow up on that for just a second? Sure. Um, so putting on my rising Phoenix hat first for a minute, let me just pause and say that I often fail to truly appreciate how much courage it must take to walk into a new space. Like I don't, I can never understand that because of what I look like. I just want to acknowledge how much courage it must take to walk into something like a convention and not know what it's going to be like to be there and not know how authentic you can be when you're there. And that breaks my heart. But when thinking about how we organize a con and how we try to make a a con a safe and welcoming place. My specific question around that is if you were looking at something, at a description and you saw specific tables that, that described themselves as queer friendly or game descriptions that were specifically about, you know, centering a queer experience or centering an indigenous experience or centering an experience of people of color or whatever, does that feel appropriative? Does that feel inappropriate for like a bunch of white people to organize? Or does that feel like a genuine space that is welcoming? The question would have to be raised. If you have a black experience, do you have a black DM? Who do you have running that? Right. Right. Um, If you have, sorry, go ahead, Tisha. Sorry. It's all good. I was just, so I, w- I went to PAX East and they had, we actually had it, the, the space used to be called the, um, the diversity lounge. They changed it to like PAX intersections together or something. I forget. They changed it to something that I was like this, you've, you've kind of lost the, the, the meat of the name to let us know what it is, but because we all know what it is and it's at the very front, we can, you can see it. And there was a group that actually did what you're describing Elizabeth is, which is that they had games that were run by LGBTQ people, people of color, et cetera. They had a list of like different, you know, and you could have been any, like you had to fill out an application. So I, I wrote up a thing, said what game I wanted to run, that it was a game that was written by a queer designer. Um, and they had a number of those. Actually, that's actually where Coyote and Crow was being run was in that space by folks who were connected to the game in some capacity. I will say the unfortunate thing is that there was another tabletop area where people were running games on the main floor. So if people wanted to come and find the game that I was running, you had to know to go look for it in a separate secondary space. And mm-hmm. I, I wasn't even on the schedule until about three days before the con started because it was a lot of like getting everything together at the last second. So when people went down to the tabletop area to look for games, no one found Eric Crumrine running damn the man, save the music. They had to go up to PAX East intersections lounge mm-hmm. and find it, which is why the first game I ran for like a family because they were a friend of a friend who wanted to play it. And the second one was because there happened to be four people standing around when I was going to run it that sat down and played, not because they actually showed up to play the game. They're just like, what is this? 
and they had three hours to spare. Um, mm-hmm. So I do, but I do think looking back to Tisha, what Tisha's comment about like, if someone's going to say, I'm going to run a game focused on black experience, that DM had better be black. Like yes. If they're going right. to say, I'm going to run a game that's about being black in some capacity. But I think there's a way to frame something in. This is a space where we are highlighting marginalized voices and marginalized players or developers. And how can we make sure? Because there were a lot of cool games I think people didn't know about prior to going into that space. Mm-hmm. In our community, like our actual, my the community I live in, I mean, there's a big push to like put together directories of Black-owned businesses, queer-owned businesses, woman-owned businesses, trans-owned businesses, Indigenous-owned businesses, because folks often do want to patronize and participate and support communities like that. And I don't see why it would be a problem if done openly and nicely as not as opposed to like Eric being put in a separate section and not being given the same consideration as any other event that's being submitted to be run on a major convention. I mean, Mm -hmm. these are just attributes that we're talking about. This game is a fifth edition game. This game is an adventurous league game. This game happens to be run by a queer person and features queer content. These are all like attributes we already use to describe most of the games we play in mid-level, high level, what level queerness do you have? It better be through the roof. I mean, it'd be fine. Yeah. Um, I think, Go ahead, Jonathan. Okay. Yeah, I was just going to say, yeah, definitely if I walk into a space or like I see the brochure and I see the pamphlet and it's saying like, and we're going to do these things. And then I see, uh, um, I, I see uh, Lily White people. I'm like, let's, I'm going to question the, the the authenticity of it. You know what I'm saying? Um, if I see um, um, talking about uh, maybe African-American experiences and then I see that there is a Black DM um and then I look at the board of all the people that were like in charge of that committee and I see now one black person still, I'm just also still kind of like looking at this, like, okay, like, like not that I'm not going to participate because I'm still going to support, but also I'm kind of looking at like, okay, how is this going to go? How are you going to treat them? Where are they going to be? Um, how is this space going to be uh, for them? And then, yeah, like, like what happened, Eric, are they going to be tucked away in a corner? You know, I always look at placement of things too, because those stories should be on the main floor too. And that's just period. So yeah, if you're doing the work to truly understand things and to truly have those people there and I mean, be real, like if they're being hired to do something and they need to be paid for it, then like, with all things being equal, I don't think that that's necessarily appropriative or not necessarily appropriate. It's just, it's not appropriate. Okay. But then again, like me being that person, like I am going to scrutinize <laughs> every single little thing and be like, oh, that table um, has one less chair than everybody else's. And why is that? Like, I want my people to be taken care of. You know what I'm saying? So it's like, just highly like, like I'm on alert, but I guess that's also because I've been like burned before several times in these mm-hmm. spaces. So I don't, uh, yeah, I don't, it's not, it's, it's a step in the right direction, but then you gotta, when the time comes for that person to have that spotlight, where is that spotlight? Where are they going to be? And are they being taken care of? I need to see all of those things happening for me to walk out feeling like fully satisfied. Imagine, imagine going to a con and you see one table that says this is the cis white heteronormative table. Like uh, it's a heteronormative experience. And then all the rest of the tables are filled with queer people of color. 
Like, is that a con that you're gonna go to? Right. That in that that's that does make sense. Like when you when you put it that way. Like, do you feel like you're going to connect with that as a straight person going to a primarily in and, and as a straight person going to pride? What about that? I think it's kind of a similar experience. I I think for me as a cis white person that I have a lot of people who are close to me that have the experience of being normative in our society. And for them, it's very uncomfortable to go to a place that is filled with people that is that are not like them. So, or to go to a place where it's pointing out a space for them. So you're asking me to go to a con that isn't just overarchingly inclusive. You're asking me to go to a con that points a specific spot in the corner like Eric's spot was. That is, that's the place for me, right? Okay. So I think that's a good way to kind of look at your con. If you are overarchingly a diversive space, that's something that you should look at. That's a a good segue because I think we've covered a ton of ground to segue into this next question. How can we as a community make the table welcoming for LGBTQIA plus players? It sounds like some of the efforts were kind of clumsy. Eric's story about having that, that one kind of almost, well, not almost, but it seemed like a segregated room for that subject matter outside of the rest of, of the gaming convention. How do we do better? Everybody. I, I really, really quickly wanted, I do want to defend a little bit the folks that put that together because they did do a good job, I think, of recruiting folks. I think it was the way that the convention put things together. I know in the spirit of it, the idea was to have space where you could play a game, be authentically yourself, have some fun without others around you. I know what they were going for. Did they get there? I don't think it fully got there. Um, and they and one thing I think someone talked about, like, making sure you're paying your folks. Everyone who did run games there got full four-day badges for the convention. So they did make sure that they took care of their folks. Um, and it always is the challenge of, like, do you have separate space for marginalized voices and, and folks in a diversity space of some sort? And that's a huge conversation that I think people fall on lots of different sides of. And, like, well, it would have been fun to be on the main floor running games. I understood where they were trying to go. Like, we have the space. We can use it and create a space where people can sit, chill, relax. Um, it can just sometimes it's a little it's a little clumsy. I really want to take a moment and praise uh, Rising Phoenix Gaming Con um, for specific successes when it comes to making a gaming table or gaming space inclusive and welcoming for LGBTQIA plus people. First, like right from the get-go, you can select pronouns when you register for your badge, so they're displayed right there. Second, they had an attendance policy that made really clear First, that they were welcoming and they were not going to tolerate harassment, discrimination, or other obnoxious behaviors that would alienate or other people. Third, they had a diversity panel that members of their board and staff attended. It wasn't just like over in the corner, like con organizers and con staff wanted to be there and encourage people to go. And finally, like it was amazing. Like I saw so many out proud queer and trans people at the convention space, just playing games, running games as vendors. If you could see people like you at the place you're going, I mean, you're kind of one already. So 
it's that's how I know. Like I would be happy to go back to a convention like that, and I look forward to it because those are hallmarks of success. And almost everyone I played with, very respectful. They were using like you know safe role playing game tools. Folks were using X cards or black cards if appropriate. Like this was just a great opportunity to see like a con really doing a good job in what their second year of making a space that was for everybody. So congratulations to Rising Phoenix Gaming Con. And if folks want suggestions on how to make their gaming space or gaming table feel welcoming, I'd say communicate with Elizabeth and their board and take some lessons from someone who's doing it right. It, it is a good vibe. Aww. That that con has a very good feeling yep. going into it. That it's it's different than other ones. <laughs> I don't want to take away from any of the other ones out there because I've really enjoyed myself. But I think Rising Phoenix is um, uh, it's special. It's a really good good culture, good vibe, spot on. You guys are that. gonna make me cry. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Let it out, friend. Advice for DMs that want to make their tables more welcoming and players and players do the work. Do the work, get the education. Google has been free since it became Google. The thing is, is that like, like I am not an expert on queer issues and I am not an expert on Black issues. I just have my experiences and my experiences translate to a lot of people that share those same circles with me. Google has experts in these fields that are us that can eloquently and beautifully articulate progress that can eloquently and uh, beautifully articulate injury, how that reflects and what you've done and how you can better do the things necessary to have a more welcoming and inviting table. So that work has to be done. That work has to be done in your daily, like, it it is so weird to say this for me, but like, we are playing a game but the way you act outside of that game literally will reflect some way in the game itself. It will. So if you like to play pretend and pretend that you are quote unquote progressive or quote unquote woke and things like that, but your friends are whenever you go to the bar with your buddies and they are doing those things um, that would be injury to queer folks and people of color and black folks, like you're going to tell on yourself. So don't do this thing thing and invite people to your table if it's not genuine and it's not authentic because you will set yourself up in the worst way possible so do the work find the google and the youtube watch the videos find the experts listen to their voices and then listen to the voices of the people that are very much around you because they are a great resource as well for you to and in, in your and in, in your venture into making your table more inclusive and for the players at that table to be more inviting and welcoming um, to their queer family and queer counterparts. I, I totally agree with that point. If you have a separate game where you invite your buddy, Johnny, who, you know, is, is homophobic and you're like, well, that's just the way he is. The acceptance of that into, into your mindset Um, And then trying to be like, well, I'm inclusive. Just don't. If you allow a friend to to stay a friend in that sense, it's I I guess it's dishonest. Right. 
it's dishonest for you to say, well, I'm a, I'm open and I'm accepting and I'm a person that you can, you know, trust with your free time or with your friendship. You're, you're being dishonest. And once we find out it's going to hurt a lot worse because, because that's not just Johnny being Johnny. That's Johnny literally harming us. That's Johnny voting for people who are passing laws to where, you know, I can't be a teacher in Florida and speak about my wife. That's not just Johnny being Johnny. Because Johnny still doesn't view you as like a fully idealized human being. Right. You know. To Johnny, I'm, I'm a second class citizen. I don't want to play a game with somebody who thinks that that's okay. I think like, like stuff for DMs and players, I think it goes back to like a couple of things I've already said. I think one, safety tools are a must. Having those built into any anything that you run. I think to Tisha's point, like if you have a game that you're running that you would invite one of your queer friends to, then you need to do some soul reflection and figure out what you're doing with that group and how to fix yourself to make it so you're you're running games consistently that are inclusive and welcoming, regardless of who your players are going to be. With the only exception being like if you're playing a game that maybe the subject matter is challenging for somebody and they wouldn't want to participate because of trigger warnings or content warnings or whatnot, that's separate than like if you're running a game, like a ran a DD game that anyone should be able to join and you would invite a queer friend to it because of players at the table, that's a bigger problem. I think a small tangible thing is just the absolute inclusion of pronouns however you can. I run games a lot virtually, especially for recording podcasts. And when we introduce characters, we throw their name and their pronouns in the chat first thing when we say them the very first time. So that way we get accustomed to it and the players know who they are. We have that on record on the side. It's a small thing, but it goes a very long way in letting folks know that there's there's a level of expectation of, of respect and that you're going to you're going to do. That. And then I think the last thing is something I said before, which is venture out, listen, to, listen to actual plays of queer people doing games, venture out, listen to POC like podcasts that are playing games, pull all those things together, find the intersectionalities of things. And, and you'll start becoming a better DM because of the stories and the things that you're hearing and understanding. So I think you, you don't get it without entrenching yourself in, in gaming and in some of those spaces. Thank you all very much for joining us. I think this was, I think it was really good stuff. Thank you for having us. Yeah. Thank yeah. Thank we, you. We really appreciate you. For sure. Because I think that a lot of times when we discuss this, it can feel like an attack. Mm -hmm. So well, we appreciate you being open to listening. Have a good night, everybody. Have a you good too. night. Good Take night. care, guys. And that's LGBTQIA plus and gaming. We'll see you next time in the dojo. That's going to conclude this episode. Thanks for tuning in and listening. Please subscribe to the podcast for more great content. If you'd like to hear a particular topic, you can reach us out on Facebook at the Dungeon Masters Dojo. Or you can drop us an email at the Dungeon Masters Dojo at gmail.com. Thank you and have a good day.